thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you're having a wonderful Wicked Wednesday thus far or whatever day you're listening on because again, I'm probably about to ruin your day. Love that for you. Thanks for being here anyway. If you're new here, welcome to my podcast. I'm Abby and on this poddy, I talk about pretty much everything that's wrong with the world and that's all you need to know. <laughs> just just things that are disturbing and harrowing and make you realise that humanity probably needs a little bit of work. And this week's episode is absolutely no different. This is a case that really stuck with me actually. I was um, in my kind of emo era when this came out and not came out but like kind of when it came to light and things and it was kind of like I remember hearing about I this case was basically one of like the the first cases that introduced me to certain things and I remember my friends being like oh like you can't listen to this guy this band anymore because the lead singer has you know there's accusations against child porn and I remember being like child child eh like but what does that mean I don't I just couldn't wrap my head around it and this was one of those cases for me I hadn't really known the real real details of this case and honestly it's I think it's a case that a lot of people think you know oh yeah he was done for child porn etc etc but the case is actually a lot darker and a lot kind of more evil than people might know about when they get to know the details. But rest assured, I am here to tell you the horrific details. And of course, trigger warning, this case involves a lot of discussion revolving around child abuse, grooming, molestation, all those types of really awful things. So don't listen if you don't want to. I know for me, these things with like child murders and these cases and things, they stick with me a lot longer than a lot of other ones. Like when I you know, research or listen and read about really horrific child murders and assault and things, I find myself kind of like, my mind kind of like wandering to the case over and over again. And like, I get this like really kind of like sad feeling in my stomach, you know, that kind of like sick sadness that you get when your gut is like flipping around in your stomach. And I feel super sad. Like that's what happens to me a lot of the time. So if you do struggle with that too, take a breather and don't listen because... As much as I love everyone's support, your state of mind is much more important than one podcast episode. So remember, it's murder and abuse is not the vibe. My wisdom tooth, I think, is coming in a little bit. And it's actually really sore today. And I've got no more paracetamol left because I used it all when I was unwell. And you can't you can't just like go to the supermarket here and pick up paracetamol you have to like go to a pharmacy and specifically ask for it because it's like behind the counter <laughs> and I hate doing that and it's also really expensive because because my German language skills aren't I don't know like the brands of paracetamol and ibuprofen and because it's like all pharmacy it's not just like oh far like Tesco paracetamol it's like actual like pharmaceutical branded paracetamol so Sometimes I go and I'm like, oh, can I just get some paracetamol? And they give me like ones that are like two euros. And then one time they gave me one that was like seven euros 20 for one pack. And you just can't, and you just, all right, cheers. What the fuck? It really stresses me out. So I just, every time I go home, <laughs> I bring back loads of paracetamol from like Tesco and Sainsbury's because it's so much easier. <laughs> but I don't have any paracetamol. So if I die because of wisdom tooth, 
Ness. Apologies. Okay, so with everything out of the way, my wisdom tooth pain and me telling you not to listen to this episode, let's get into this week's episode. This week's episode is that, is the case of, is, what am I trying to say right now? Okay, this week's case is that of Ian Watkins. So I'm going to do this case, I'm going to delve into Ian's earlier life, career, successful career, and then I'll move on to his crimes, kind of as they're, as they're discovered, okay? So who's, who is Ian Watkins? I know a lot of people will be wondering to themselves, who on earth is that man? In his later life, he was the lead singer of a super successful band called Lost Prophets. You might know them, you might not, but they were a considerably huge band from Wales. Lost Prophets sold a good few million albums and were even in, had like a few songs in the top 10 UK charts at their prime. But alas, you know, it went terribly wrong because of Ian Watkins and rightly so. So let's have a wee look into Ian, shall we? So Ian Watkins was born in Merthyr Tydfil uh, in Wales. I think that's actually pronounced like Merthyr. But because I'm Scottish and I pronounce my R's, I'm going to pronounce it Merthyr Tydfil in Wales on July 30th in 1977. And honestly, Ian had a pretty incredibly normal upbringing and life. He had a good relationship with his mum, who reportedly loved him in, you know, a normal and healthy way, and his dad as well. The only kind of notable thing about his childhood was that his dad did sadly die when he was younger, but his mum remarried, and honestly, all was well for the Watkins. Ian's stepdad had a pretty positive impact on his life. He was a Baptist minister, and he really took on the role of dad for Ian, and definitely, you know, filled that fatherly figure space that was in Ian's life pretty well. The family moved from Murdertedville to Pontypri in the Pontypri in the Welsh Valleys, and Ian attended Hawthorne High School. And honestly, Ian pretty much nailed it. He received really good grades, you know, like straight A's. He was very popular and played instruments as well. So he was kind of cool, kind of gothy, but really popular. Ian was really into his music and he loved kind of like rock and American punk and heavy metal music. So things like Megadeth and Red Hot Chili Peppers and, you know, just kind of like big rock bands that were popular at the time. He became pretty good friends with a guy called Mike Lewis, who he went to school with. You know, they were in the same year, same classes and everything. They were very close and they liked the same music. So they had a mutual enjoyment of rock and metal music, which definitely strengthened their friendship. And it would eventually lead to them starting their own band. So in 1991, they formed a band called Aftermath. Pretty cool name. It was a thrash metal band that played in a shed in Ian's family garden. So, you know, his family were supportive as well. It was, it was a nice, it was a nice time. Ian was very confident and again, popular. So he had a lot of, you know, confidence in the fact that he was going to make, going to make it and that he was going to be in a, what he called a very successful band. And he was just very sure of himself. Like, he even, like, would, like, kind of, like, tell everyone that he was going to be in a really successful band that would, you know, break the world and break America. And he was right. Now, Ian was the drummer of this band in Aftermath and did seem a lot more committed to it, to it than his friend Mike and also just like the other band members in general because honestly like they were really young and no one really cared. <laughs> so they called it a day after a couple of years and they put Aftermath to bed. 
Ian was still very, very determined and actually ended up starting another band with a friend that he had met through like mutual friends and ended up being like a future band member actually and he was called Lee Gaze. Ian and Lee named this band, prepare for it, Fleshbind. What a horrific name. Like what is a flesh, what is a Fleshbind? I don't know, a ligament? <laughs> a tendon? What is that? But anyway, they started this band called Fleshbind and they decided to try and steer this band more so in the direction of their influences. So like more like American punk and pop punk. This band actually did okay. Like I said, Ian was a drummer and Lee was a guitarist and they even recorded three demos. They supported Feeder, a really cool band, for one of their gigs in London. Did a few kind of supporting acts and opening acts at gigs and they were all right, but... After a while, they decided to disband Fleshman. Fleshbind decided to disband because I think I have read a few different things. So people say it was like misdirection and just kind of like, just kind of different commitment levels. Whereas one report said that the lead singer of the band left, but I'm not 100%. So I think it just, it... They were arguing a lot and, uh, you know, it happens. It happens to bands. But after this, Ian was still, you know... I'm going to make it. So he kind of did everything he could. So he got Lee from Fleshbind and Mike Lewis from Aftermath. They all came together and formed a band that we know today as Lost Prophets. Ian noticed pretty quickly that this band had huge potential and he was not wrong. Ian had moved from the drums to lead vocalist of the band and they were doing really well. They toured Wales and then shortly moved into tour in the UK, which, you know, only made them stronger and better. In the year 2000, Lost Profits were signed by a record label and just a few weeks later they released their first album which blew up. This album did so well that Lost Profits were invited to open for and support huge bands such as Linkin Park and Deftones who were huge. You know, new metal in the 2000s was enormous so this was really big for them. After touring for a few years and, you know, being super famous, they released another album in 2004, which was even bigger than the first, and they broke America. The band released five albums in total, and Ian did exactly what Ian said he would. He broke America and became a super successful rock star. However, due to the constant touring and exhaustion writing songs and recording albums, the rock star lifestyle that Ian so desperately wanted caught up with him and before this he was very straight edge, kind of bragged about the fact that he was sober and managed to do everything without drugs and drink. It never really lasts and he ended up abusing pretty hard drugs quite early on into their career. He was reportedly delving into the drug world of, you know, cocaine and crystal meth, so pretty hard drugs and his band said that he started, they started to kind of break away from Ian due to his drug habits because he became unbearable. They said that Ian had gone as far as to request his own dressing room away from all the other band members and he honestly just like really chose to minimise contact with most of his bandmates. This was kind of a shock to the people around them as I was reading a, <clears throat> I was reading a report, well an interview of a reporter who, who was quite involved with like the you know alternative music scene in the UK and he said that when he interviews his band and would see them, they were very, very close. And it was clear that there was an actual real connection and real friendship between them all. You know, a few of them grew up together and went to school together. So it was a real kind of like family. And Ian was reportedly, until he started abusing drugs, a very personable and charming guy with a really good sense of humour. But it all just changed. 
Now, all of the band members have been very quiet about these accusations and, you know, jail time and things that came out against Ian Watkins. However, I did listen to a podcast episode from one member of the band called Stuart Richardson and he spoke about Ian Watkins' drug abuse and general attitude in the band and he was quite forthcoming in how he felt about Ian, to say the least. It was just getting to the point where none of us could stand being in the room with him. From day one, he always rubbed me up, rubbed me up the wrong way a bit. But I personally just thought that was my problem and not his problem. I was like, am I just jealous of the guy? But he was just so fucking arrogant. But at the same time, I thought he was just kind of playing the part. And he kind of was as well. Ian's drug use really started to get in the way of their shows. And most of the band members, like I said, have spoken up very little about Ian and their time together in Lost Profits. But... As I mentioned before, Stuart Richardson did a pretty detailed podcast interview about it all and went on to say, I don't think many people knew this, but before the band broke up, there was a show on Vans Warped Tour towards the end of 2009 to 2011 and we realised Ian had, depress- uh, had a depressingly sad drug addiction. It just snuck up on us because unfortunately we were living in LA and he was all the way back home in Wales. We didn't see him for fucking nine months of the year and we realised how bad it was and we had an intervention with him. We said, look, if you don't clean up your act, you are fucking out. This band is done. So in 2012, he finally got his shit together and we went on Warped Tour and he was sober and he was singing better than he'd ever sung in his life. Unfortunately for the band, Ian quickly relapsed and they were back at square one. The band were worried about him. And honestly, they were worried that he was just going to kill himself due to the drug abuse. But his performances weren't going well. He, they were not being finished. He was very like, like really slurring his words, just really really didn't know where he was and that just kind of led to a downward spiral for Ian Watkins and the band. It was between the years of 2004 to 2006 whilst touring their third album that multiple band members and road crew employees recalled seeing Ian backstage with multiple underage fans. Before this, his bandmates said throughout all of the relationships that Ian had that they'd seen him have, none were out of the ordinary or with any women that seemed to be underage and they were all pretty adamant that any woman that Ian was having a re- relations with was over 18. Despite the band saying that, their concerts were reportedly filled with underage or school-age girls who were all invited backstage to get a little closer to their idol, Ian Watkins. His private dressing room that he had requested. That was reportedly where a lot of the crimes that I will go on to talk about took place. Remember that was this private dressing room away from everyone else and there he would you know use his power and fame to get these people to do exactly what he wanted them to do for him. There was a specific case from 2007 where Ian had met a 16 year old girl at Lost Profits concert and somehow through conversing found out that she was a virgin because you know she was a 16 year old girl. In the court document, it says, The prospect of taking her virginity excited you. You got her to dress in a schoolgirl's outfit and then you videoed her and you having sex in three different ways. You asked her whether she enjoyed being your underage slut and then you urinated over her face and told her to drink it. I just, I... She was 16. She was 16 years old and Ian Watkins was 30 at the time. Like, ugh, really? And honestly, ugh, it gets so, so, so much worse. 
Ian Watkins would continue to sexually abuse young girls and even film it without their consent. He began to film all of his sexual encounters and would even joke about the abuse that he was inflicting on these young girls. I say a joke, but he would basically brag about it. And then if people reacted in the way that he didn't really want them to or reacted badly, which is natural when you're, you know, raping underage girls, he would brush it off as a joke. But it is now believed that it was never a joke. He just wanted to gloat about the fact that he was essentially a child rapist. I think when I hear things about that, it makes it so hard to believe that the band had no idea what was going on. I mean, there were reporters who weren't there all the time who said every time they went backstage, it was rife with underage girls and there was even reports of fan forums in which you know young girls would talk about you know how much they love the band and whatever and they would all talk about how upset they were that Ian Watkins wouldn't look in their direction because they weren't young enough for him and how they wished they were just a few years younger so Ian would sleep with them these girls were 16 I think I mean let's not pretend this wasn't common knowledge I think People, band members, can attempt to kind of brush this stuff off if the girls are maybe like 14 or 15 because it's close to the legal age of consent in the UK, especially as bandmates, you know, they could have been like, well, she looks a bit young. She's probably 16, though, so it's legal. But when in reality, if your 30-year-old bandmate is sleeping with 16-year-old, it is still a problem. Like, you're still a paedophile if you're 30 and you want to sleep with 16-year-olds. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's, 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 ah, uh, really? People might draw the line, understandably, at young kids and infants and say, oh, you know, we knew that he liked, you know, 14-year-olds or 13-year-olds, but we didn't know he liked kids, but we did suspect he liked girls significantly younger than him, sure. And we obviously, you know, we can try and say that one is worse than the other, but the bottom line is this guy was a paedophile and a fucking rapist. Like, it's bad everywhere. These are some of the messages on the fan forums that were posted long before Ian was arrested and also posted so close to the time that he was arrested. I think it was around a year before he finally got arrested. So this was going on for a long time. It's all true. And about him molesting kids, this poor excuse for a man disgusts me. I used to know him and I'm ashamed to say love him till I find out the truth. Someone else here said... If more of us came forward, we'd get this pedo where he belongs, away from kids for good. He used to frighten me with his talk about what he wants to do to babies, not just baby girls, but baby boys too. I wish I'd done something when I had the chance. Another user went to went on to back up the previous claims and said, the stuff about him messing with kids is, tr- is true. Anyone he goes with who has kids, he's either done stuff to them or tried to. It happened to a friend, but he scared her into not doing anything about it because of other illegal things they had done together. I'm sorry, but how is it these internet strangers knew what was going on, but his bandmates didn't and neither did the police? Like, had they seen it? What did they know? Why did they know about it, but no one else did? Did they have evidence? This was, everybody knew about this. One of the posts on the site claims the singer singer knew how to drug children and would often get fans that had kids to partake in drugs as well, which would scare them away from going to the authorities about anything that had gone on. This, the fact that he was drugging kids was confirmed when they did tests on a hair sample from one of the children that Ian had assaulted and there was presence of drugs. 
Now you might be thinking, why did nobody nobody come forward? You know, these people knew these things. Why did nobody go to the police or try and report him or just say anything at this point? They did. Specifically, Ian's ex-girlfriend, Joanne Majelix, who he met in 2006 and had an on and off relationship until about 2008. Joanne went as far as to contact the police with allegations against Ian very early on. Joanne said that Ian had confessed to her that he had been having sex slash raping all those underage girls at their concerts and Joanne said she had repeatedly grown a little bit suspicious of Ian's sexual interests throughout their relationship. When Ian confided in Joanne, she reported him in 2008 to Pontypridd Child Services for inappropriate conduct with a child. Just a few days later, Joanne also handwrote a letter to another child services within South Wales with the same allegations. In January 2009, which was just a few weeks after she reported it, the police had a meeting to discuss the allegations and eventually interviewed Joanne in March of 2009. After interviewing her and she told them everything she knew and Ian's confessions and everything, they privately closed the case without telling her and without really doing any investigating. The police labelled Joanne as an obsessed and disgruntled ex-partner. Joanne was frustratingly one of six people who had filed a report in regards to Ian's sexual abuse from 2008 to 2011. A few years after Joanne reported Ian, they rekindled their relationship as she'd figured the police did the investigating. They concluded nothing illegal was done and they closed the investigation, so they must have been right. Ian must have just been joking about what he was... I don't think he showed her anything at this point. I think he was just kind of talking about it. And Joanne was just like, okay then, I was wrong, sorry. And that's what she did. She apologised to Ian for reporting him and for make, for reporting him for making a very weird joke. And he laughed it off and said thought it was funny. However, just a few weeks after they rekindled their relationship, Ian showed Joanne some evidence. He showed her a video of a child being molested and abused and then photos of a different child being raped. And Joanne said the children in these photos were no older than five or six. Joanne realised at that moment that she had been right and Ian wasn't joking. She was so disturbed that she was actually physically sick when she saw them and immediately went to the police to report him again. The police rejected her attempt at a report. They refused to listen to her and sent her away again, ruling her as obsessed with Ian. What a bunch of assholes. Like, I just can't, like, if I... I really struggle to believe that if this was the other way around gender-wise that it would have gone the same. But I don't know. Women are always labelled as psychos and obsessed for just, you know, maybe telling the truth. And unfortunately, the consequence of the police not taking a woman seriously was really, really horrifying. Joanne was still very determined to bring this to light and she wrote a letter to Ian's mum telling her of the things that Ian was doing and watching and the crimes he was committing but Ian's mum, you know, denied it. She went to the police and reported Joanne of, well, reported her and accused her of harassing the family. The police had the bloody audacity, by the way, to bring Joanne in for questioning for stalking and harassing. They, the police literally spent more time on trying to get Joanne stopped rather than to get Ian stopped. Joanne at this point actually had av- evidence of what Ian had sent to her. And I'm not sure if she like had been sent the videos or screenshots or whatever. 
But she insisted that she had hard evidence of Ian having these in his possession and even distributing them. But every time she contacted the police to try and show them, they refused to look at the evidence or even take her phone. Joanne did say in one interview that they did eventually one time, after all the time she was trying to report him, they did take a look at what she was showing them and they said, oh no, God, no, that person's over 16, they're 16, it's legal. Even though she said in the videos they were no older than five or six. Even after the police dismissed Joanne, she did not stop there. She was still very determined to get Ian put away, so she decided the best way for her to do that was to use her relationship with him as a way to gain evidence. In 2011, she started up her relationship with Ian again in order to gain his trust, gather all this evidence, and then basically force it upon the authorities. She and Ian did exactly that. He started showing Joanne this stuff pretty straight on, and she had to go from being literally sick when she was showing child pornography and running off. She now had to bite her tongue and pretend that she was into it. She would pretend she was interested, play along, and even asked for more. Ian did that too. He was sending her a lot of videos. But Joanne quickly realised in these videos that this wasn't just, you know, child pornography that Ian had somehow gotten a hold of or bought. This was Ian's own child abuse. When Joanne asked Ian about it, he confirmed and even told her about one of the kids that kept appearing in these videos and pictures and told Joanne about how he's able to have a relationship with the mother and get the mother to give him access to their child so he could repeatedly rape them. Joanne spent a while gathering all this evidence. She got photos and videos and whatever else of Ian actually raping children repeatedly. She got all of this evidence, sent it in one email to the chief of police in South Wales and she was ignored. To this day, they still don't know if the chief of police even opened that email or if anyone had ever opened that email. It's really frustrating to listen to this because, you know, the FBI and the bloody CIA and whoever will work tirelessly at getting huge drug trafficking websites on the dark web, you know, etc. taken down with a year or two. But when it comes to child abuse, you can hear about certain criminals. You know, look at Peter Scully. This guy was abusing three of the same kids. He had made a series out of the abuse on children that he had. Peter Scully had an 18-month-old, access to an 18-month-old girl called Daisy. And he had a child abuse series on the dark web called Daisy's Destruction. He was doing that for years and he made millions of money from selling this footage online. Richard Huckle, exactly the same, abused kids for years and years and years, sold it online, openly spoke about on the dark net about his access to kids, his favourite ones, the ones that he was always, you know, seeing and assaulting. Years this went on for. It's how is it allowed to happen? I might sound really ignorant because it might be a much, you know, larger operation or I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, putting people to justice, but I just find it really frustrating that there are people in prison with drug sentences 10 times longer than child abuse sentences. And I just, it's, I just can't wrap my head around it. Anyway, sorry, getting off track there because I'm upset. So back to Joanne and Ian. 
Joanne managed to track down the identity of this child who kept showing up in Ian's abuse videos, who, by the way, was two years old. Since the mother was obviously not a mother at all and was in fact a monster, she contacted the father of the child in hope to bring this to light and she also contacted South Wales Police again with more evidence and videos again, but again, was ignored on both accounts. As well as all of Joanne's reports, in 2010 an Australian woman had also come forward accusing Ian of sexually assaulting her child. These allegations were not investigated any further by any authorities. Now, uh, Ian did get caught, obviously, because we're here. But how he got caught is really, really frustrating. So, you know, you've got to remember that people went to the police numerous times. Reporters spoke of it. It was, you know, everyone was a little bit suspicious. So in June 2012, just roughly six months after Joanne's final report to the police, remember Joanne had been trying to report him to the police for four years. Four years she'd gone to the police numerous times with this and they'd ignored it. So six months after her final report to the police, Ian was apprehended in June 2012, like I said, in relation to drug crimes. See what I mean? Drug trafficking, child trafficking. You know, I just think drugs are so much worse. So, uh, sorry, I don't want to be like, I'm not trying to be like a drug pusher. I don't agree with drug trafficking and people being on drugs, but I just personally think that child trafficking is worse. Sorry. So Ian was apprehended in relation to drug crimes, but was granted bail shortly after. However, Ian started being watched and had attracted some attention from the police because he was apparently very regularly smuggling drugs into LA where they would frequently tour. So that's why they started watching him, because he was bringing drugs into the country. Okay. Due to this, Ian was again on the 4th of, Dece- on, on the 4th of November arrested and was held on charges of drug possession. <laughs> And one allegation of having possession of an image of a child, obscene image of a child. He pleaded guilty to the drug charge, but pleaded not guilty to the charges of possessing explicit material. Ian would go on to perform his final show with Lost Profits on the 14th of November 2012 in Newport in Wales. And then he was arrested for a final time on the 17th of December 2012. Police took it a step further and finally seized his electronic devices in relation to his drug crimes. His laptop was easily the most incriminating piece of evidence. The police already had an idea of what they were about to uncover on this laptop as his laptop password was I fuck kids with a Z. The South Wales police quickly discovered multiple indecent images of babies and children stored on his computer some of which were Ian himself and some of which were not. The police, I'm sorry, I feel so sorry for the people that have to go through this. That must be so traumatising. I just don't think I could, I don't think I could sleep at night. I would, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I don't think I could ever, ever, ever work in any kind of industry that involved kids that had, just kids that had been hurt in any way, shape or form. I just, I just couldn't do it. So when the police were looking through this, they noticed two women on these videos and images who they quickly concluded were the mother of two 
very, very young infants in Ian's child pornography collection. On the 19th of December, Ian was charged at Cardiff Magistrates Court with conspiracy to engage in sexual activity with a one-year-old girl and possession or distribution of indecent images of children and extreme animal pornography. He was remanded in custody, as were the two mothers of those victims, but Ian denied all of the charges and he was very insistent that he was not guilty, despite him literally being on the videos. I think this goes to show just how cocky he was, thinking that he could get away with this, even though he was on the videos. And there were also reports of him telling people that he would ne- he knew he would never get caught because his ex-girlfriend had gone to the police so many times and nothing had happened and he would get his day in court. He would prove everyone wrong. Ian came out publicly and denied all the charges, you know, even going as far as to reassure that everything was fine to his parents and he would show the court that. He brushed it off as a big misunderstanding and insisted that it would all be clear and everyone would be sorry. Interestingly, during this, his bandmates never said a word publicly about this and the trial began in November 2013, which was a year after he was arrested for this and Ian immediately pled guilty, complete turnaround, but he pled guilty to attempted rape and sexual assault of a child under 13, but pled not guilty to the actual rape. He further pleaded guilty to three counts of sexual assault involving children, six counts of taking, making or possessing indecent images of children and one count of possessing an extreme pornographic image involving a sex act on an animal. I think it... It... Just... Animals and kids are the two most vulnerable and innocent things and people on this entire planet they are the only things in this world that are incapable of saying no and defending themselves i think that's exactly why ian had an interest in children and in bestiality animal pornography because they were the only two areas that he could completely control and had no power over him and they are the two most like lovable things in the whole world. And he just loved that. He's an evil, awful human being. I'm sorry, it's really hard not to get really heated about this. But I, I oh, okay. Now, there are documents of Ian's trial online and I have read them. But I don't think this is the right place to talk about everything that happened. It's really, they go into detail about the crimes that he committed on like which children. I... It's just awful. It's really, really rough. And I don't want to share the details, but I do think it's important that we know the kind of ins and outs of the prosecution's argument and what the judge said. So one of Ian's repeat victims was a 10-month-old baby boy. And in this document, they refer to his mother as B. This is what the judge said at the trial. You, B, were only 19 when you met Watkins in late 2011. The communications between the two of you in March and April 2012 are seriously disturbing. That you were manipulated by Watkins may be obvious, but you were a mother. Your infant was 10 months old. A mother naturally loves, protects, shields, nurtures and cherishes. Your infant would have trusted you implicitly. You totally betrayed that trust. And what did you do? You had detailed discussions with Watkins about the sexual acts the two of you were going to subject your infant to and you'd previously referred to getting your boy high on ice, i.e. methyl amphetamine. 
This is what led to the session at the Key West Hotel in London on the night of the 2nd and 3rd of April recorded on the video. What did you do there? You presented your baby with him so he could try to rape him in multiple different ways. You can be heard and seen encouraging him. Could there be a greater betrayal? The enjoyment both of you can see, be seen to derive from what you are doing is both sickening and incomprehensible. I um, I did cut out a, quite a few things in that sentence, but the court documents basically just verify what steps Ian was taking to try and attempt to rape that baby. What happened after this? On the 24th of May, you sent Watkins a message saying, the boy is ready to be abused. And on the 2nd of August, Ian messaged you saying, be honest, to be honest, I think we've gone easy on him so far. Time to teach him and make him learn to love it. The evidence indicates you met again at the Maldron Hotel in Cardiff. Then, on the 9th of September, you sent Watkins a photo of you assaulting your child. In all in all, in all, it is a dreadful catalogue of abuse of a previously innocent boy to satisfy your own interests and lusts. Again, there were specifics, but I just didn't want to say them on here. You can go and read the court documents. I obviously don't recommend it. It's something that I has kept with me since I did this research. And I've actually like needed emotional support after reading it from my husband because it's been really, really horrifying to have to research this. So you can read them online, but I I just, I really don't recommend it. Now, the other repeated victim was referred to as P. She had a daughter who was very young and was one year old. The judge has said, you, P, were a little older than B. You are now 24. Your communications with Watkins start in August 2012 and it is not long before the communications turn to child sexual abuse. There were even talks of moving in together. Watkins said, if you belong to me, so does your baby. You responded, understandable, a mother-daughter-slave duo worshipping you. And Watkins replied, that's all she will know, a life of filth. P, the mother, said that's the good things about about babies is you can put anything near their mouths and they will suck it. She went on to talk about how both and she went on to talk about both her and her baby sharing Ian Watkins with their mouths. Remember, this was a one-year-old girl. The subsequent communications planning even more depraved activities for this little girl, including forcing her to engage in sex with animals and how to take drugs, defy belief. This P was your own flesh and blood you were talking about. Watkins, you refer to the girl as my little fuck toy. And that sums up how you regarded her. Not as a human being, but simply as a sexual object there for your pleasure. I'm sorry, that made me really emotional. I think it's just really true. Oh, I know I'm not supposed to cry at these things because I feel like, you know, this is my job and I'm not doing a very good job if I don't get emotionally attached to these things. But I think if you can read about this and not feel some kind of way, then I don't know. I just. She was a baby and the judge is just totally right. Like they didn't regard her as a human being, but just literally is just like just nothing. It's really sad. Okay, I've had a bit of a cry. I'm okay. Okay. I'm just going to carry on with what the judge was saying about this case. You, Watkins, said that you could not wait to get the mother and daughter taking crack cocaine. 
You spoke of whoring her out to fat old men who would pay thousands. You went on to say she needs to know mummy and daddy don't love her. She is just there for our pleasure. And you spoke of torturing her for fun. There are accounts of P sending Ian Watkins numerous videos and photos and also video calls where she would assault her baby for the pleasure of Ian. You have both pleaded guilty to conspiring to rape the little girl and to conspiring to sexually assault her. The evidence is compelling that you, P, took your infant to meet up with Watkins at a travel lodge in Kerfilly on the 2nd of October and or at the Radisson in Cardiff on the 23rd of October. What happened there has not been recorded. You, for a long time, lied, saying you had never met up with him. You now say you did, but you left your baby with someone else. However, the evidence to me is compelling that you took your baby. Let there be no mistake. This guilty plea means that you accept the two of you have agreed, the two of you agreed that the little girl should be raped by Watkins and you both intended that that would take place. You, Watkins, initiated and orchestrated the appalling abuse, but you, P, portrayed your daughter for your own selfish ends. So after that, a sentencing hearing was held at Cardiff on the 18th of December 2013, and Ian's defence said that Ian had no recollection of the case involving the attempted rape, but had belatedly realised the gravity of what's happened after having developed an obsession with videoing himself having sex. Ian Watkins was sentenced to 29 years in prison, with eligibility to apply for parole after serving two-thirds of his prison term, followed by six years of supervised release. The two mothers in this case, the mothers of the victims, respectively received sentences of 14 and 17 years imprisonment, and obviously had both their children taken off them. They were either placed in foster care, or one of them was, and one of them was sent with family, but both of them have completely lost the right to ever see their children. Rightly so. I wanted to share the kind of closing statement from the judge on the children. What is the position in relation to any harm suffered by these babies? While it is right to say there is no evidence of any residual physical harm, it is not possible to say what psychological harm may have been suffered or may be suffered in the future. As previously stated for B's child, given his very young age, it is unclear what the effect on of the what effect the abuse would have on him. However, this child is likely to have lifelong psychological difficulties coming to terms with the enormity of what has happened to him. Despite him being placed in long-term foster care, he will eventually learn the truth of his childhood and the abuse that he was subjected to. The effects of which are significant. And we cannot and should not underestimate the effect that this will have on him for the rest of his life. One obvious immediate consequence is that they will both be deprived of the love and natural care from their mother. The judge said that this case plunged to new depths of depravity. And a senior investigating officer on the case described Watkins as a committed and organised paedophile and potentially the most dangerous sex offender he had ever seen. Ian Watkins is currently serving his sentence at HMP Wakefield in Yorkshire, which is easily one of the most infamous and dangerous prisons in the UK. The prison has actually been nicknamed Monster Mansion due to the large number of high-profile, high-risk sex offenders and murderers held there, so he is in the right place. Now, you've probably been thinking the police fell really short on this, to you know say the absolute least, and you're absolutely right. The police complaints after this investigation were honestly oh they came in strong and there was an investigation done in two south wales police for their 
lack of effort, again to say the least. And the investigation report said that three detectives from South, Pla- South Wales Police should force disciplinary action after they failed to act on earlier allegations of abuse by Ian Watkins from 2008 and onwards. A further report stated that the police had failed a number of times from 2008 to 2012 to act on reports of Ian's behaviour, quoting a detective who said that Ian had a number of fans and ex-girlfriend making allegations that, when investigated, are false. The report concluded the consequence of the force's failings was arguably that a predatory paedophile offended over an extended period of time. The evidence obtained in this investigation suggests that the South Wales Police were faced with litany of reports about his behaviour, yet, in some instances, did not carry out even rudimentary investigation. They made errors and omissions and missed opportunities to bring him to justice earlier than he ultimately was. South Wales Police Assistant Chief Constable said his force entirely accepts and regrets the findings of this report. And then that, honestly, that's it for Ian Watkins and his horrific crimes. He's still in prison. I haven't read about him, like, struggling in prison like a lot of paedophiles and criminals that, you know, do things to kids do. But he's in prison with some serious monsters and serial killers who also probably killed some kids. So maybe the pot calling the kettle black, probably. But that's it. That's it from, from me for the case. I hated this one. This was a really, really tough case to research and to talk about. I just, I, it, it, it hurts to do this sometimes, but I think it's important that we raise awareness about just how much access people have to kids and it's scary. It's a, the world is a really scary place. So I... I'm going to finish talking about this. I am not going to say I hope you enjoyed the spooks because I didn't enjoy the spooks. I'm just going to end this episode. I hope you guys somehow managed to have a nice day. I'm sorry if this was really awful, but you know, it, it happened and it's real and that's just the way it is. So I hope the rest of your day is okay. Please take some time to yourself, stay safe, take a breather. And I will see you next week. Thank you all for your support. I love everybody. And goodbye.